to Ocean City Church live stream. My name is Jonathan Tony, right here. Derek Harmon, lead pastor of Ocean City Church. We're so glad that you've come to see us. I know some of you are probably cheating on us with <laughs> other and better live streams, yeah. but you're gonna, if, if that's the case, you, those of you that are watching, you can tell your friends they're missing out. This yeah. one's going to be good. It's going to be a good one today. Yeah. Uh, how's your week been? We're, we are living in Groundhog Day. I don't know what day of the week it is ever. I wake up and I just kind of roll through my life. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty good week. Oh, you know, good for you. That's you great. You almost. I mean, I gotta. Let's be honest. I mean, things could be worse. Like I know that there's people that are. This is a tough time in yeah. different areas of the country. Um, but where we live, you know, whether you you know you live across the ditch, you know, or down here at the beach. Shout out to people across the ditch. West side is the best side. Uh, we call it uh, West Beaches. It's yes. So we tried to church it up a little bit. Yep. And beach people laugh when they when you say Fine, that. Fine, whatever. <laughs> Listen, here's my defense of, of against the beach people. Stop working across the ditch and you guys can just have it all here, but everybody has to come over here for our, for our jobs. All the money's over there, isn't it? The, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, we got tons. But anyway, like it, it, normally, like I, I just think on a normal basis, there's some things that yeah. it's weird. I mean, to drive down Butler Boulevard and not see a human for a few miles yeah. on the road. We went to uh, Four Rivers and Bay Meadows only because it only took us 20 minutes from the beach. It's <laughs> the only time in history that that could possibly happen. But the first time that I mean, this is sad and maybe, but like in terms of being affected by like this whole thing, uh, Abe got a, a horrible toothache, mm. and. We, you know, you start thinking, what are you going to do? We called our dentist, and, and there's just like a, an answering machine. There's nobody's picking up, you know. We don't even know if anybody's there. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Wow. And you're thinking, you know, and, and people are going to be affected by this, you know, more and more in our area, I'm sure. But it just was a little sprinkle of, yeah, this is, this is not fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, in that kind of thing, like having everything shut down um, and having that Eventually, we got to another dentist, which we liked better than our other one, and it was a miracle. The guy's a Christian. Wow. Um, was awesome. But, yeah, just that kind of stuff. Is, you're hitting the point where you're like, all right, Gabe, open your mouth. Abe, open your mouth. I got this rock, and we're just going yeah. to... Yeah, we're going to go full-on <laughs> castaway cast um, yeah. style, you know? Yeah, skate. it's weird. It's, it, it is weird because I, I'm dying inside a little bit more every day because I just don't see people. And, like, my two best friends right now are these old ladies that I walk past every day on our morning walk. Like, <laughs> hey, what's awesome, up? Though. Hey, how's it going? You know, it's just... I'm just desperate for interaction, but I'm too afraid to get close to people, so it's it's kind of rough. My my daughter is 11 months this week, and uh, she's or she started emulating us a little bit more, repeating words. She is so cute. She's the best. But she started going, <sighs> like sighing. <laughs> and I was like, who like who she get that from? And then I sat down at the table yesterday. I was like, <sighs> and I think Brittany's like. She, she got that from you. That's amazing. So we're making it. We're, 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 we're struggling through, but we're getting there. But this is a great time to say, if you are looking for some kind of connection, uh, if you haven't connected with the church before, go to OceanCityChurch.org. And um, maybe you've just started kind of getting to know us through the live stream. If you go to the uh, link that says New Here, you can fill out a virtual connect card and yeah. just give us some information. We will get you in the loop because there's a lot of stuff that comes out um, each week. Uh, especially during this COVID uh, crisis. Um, so you can just fill out that form and then you'll get some awesome information. And speaking of that, we've been doing studies through Acts. It's been yeah. outstanding, amazing. There's a lot of blogs that are being written by staff members right now that are totally legit. I'm like stirred up when I read them. And then also we have a Spotify worship at home playlist uh, for you that Gerald's been putting together. Just songs that kind of, I think, speak to where we're in and, and just even just songs that you might not have heard yet. Um, they're all on there, and then um, additional resources are on there as well, too. So it's been it's a pretty awesome uh, way to utilize your week and dig dig a little deeper. Yeah, it's been great to see in this season how people, even outside of our normal people that come here as regular attenders or anchors or mm -hmm. city group leaders and, and such, um, connecting to the stream and yeah. connecting to resources and things like that. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, if you don't have old ladies that you walk by every day on your walk, you're probably like, I really need some interaction with people. Uh, so we really want to take a moment to talk a, a little bit about what fight clubs are. Yeah, And great... we've broken the first rule of fight clubs, and we're talking about them, but <laughs> not the quite the same thing. Uh, but Derek, tell us a little bit about what fight clubs are and how they're different than city groups, because we know what city groups are. It's a way to connect with people in the church and uh, like a body within a body. Right. What makes fight clubs different? Well, fight clubs are... A more intimate, um, mm -hmm. and, and I know people kind of scared of the, the that type of word, because city <laughs> groups, you know, we've got, you know, there's a lot of people that belong to certain city groups, and when they show up, you know, you, there can be 12, 15, you know, 17 people at a city group, 
But in terms of digging in and having somebody that you lean on to, to, to really, I mean, contend for one another, contend for the church, pray for each other's families, those kind of groups need to be small. You can't do that in a group of 18. Right. So within your city group or even just within the church, there's no real rule in terms of how you would pick somebody that's uh, your fight club partner. You would have somebody that you connect with on a regular basis and that you pray with, that you might study scripture with, you might share your, share your life with. Um, you know, my, my fight club is actually the elders. There's, you know, we, we gather together on a regular basis as elders, but we don't just gather to talk about church business. Mm-hmm. Part of what we do as elders is we, it's accountability for one another. It's us going, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what happened with, you know, my family, or this is what happened this week at work, or this is something that's going on, you know, with my wife, and I'm, you know, or I screwed up. Right. And I need you to pray for me, or I'm 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 struggling in this area of sin even, um, and I need I need some accountability. Can you guys help me with that? It's such an uh, amazing aspect of the church, um, but it's built out of um, you know developing relationships within the church and, and city groups. But you can pick anybody. It doesn't have to be your like your bestie. Mm-hmm. Um, Beth, I think, said this week as she was talking to the city group leaders, like she had a fight club when she was at River City, and they were people that she wouldn't have, like, you know, wasn't her best friends. And that was almost better because you felt very free. Like, I think in your own circle, sometimes you, you get, you don't want to share some certain things. Right. But with new people, you're like, hey, they're, you know, they're, they're going to go back to their circles and their people. I can bring a lot of things to bear. So either way, it actually works really well. And it ended up being a really powerful situation to have somebody. In the beginning, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, she realized, this is awesome yeah. to have these people. And you develop a bond with those people. And it, it is absolutely a biblical way of leading us deeper in our relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and it's so important now more than ever. We, we have a tendency to bottle this stuff up in, and I think I got to handle it just by myself, but I met this week with mine over Zoom and just kind of unloaded on everybody, and it's amazing how many people are just like, yeah, me too, me too. I'm in the exact same spot. Yeah. Um, so the thing with fight clubs is you got to be a little proactive. Reach out to some people. I guarantee you other people were like, I was waiting for someone to ask me. Uh, I just was, you know, just looking for the right person. So be a little proactive with that. Um, just ask around and uh, yeah. it, it's, they kind of organically grow and they're awesome. Yeah. Um, and so we want to kind of also segue into uh, the giving portion. The fellowship fund I've heard has been off the hook. Like people are just giving, going out of the way. We've been able to do some amazing things in the community. Um, so if you go online again to oceancitychurch.org, you click um, click the give button, um, just kind of go up there, set up online giving, and yeah. it's an awesome way to give back if you're it's able to. It's been amazing to see. I mean, it's been amazing to see the money going in and yeah. immediately going out. I mean, I just <laughs> want to make that very clear because it's yeah. like it is. We're like, oh, my, I can't believe people have been so generous uh, in the checks they've written and electronically giving um, and, you know, people that are in a position to do that. And then to see it go back out and then see it fill back up again. It's really yeah. one of those things. When you read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that's what you see. The yeah. people with a lot. Gave to those who had a little and nobody was in need. And yeah. uh, we, we want to maintain that as a church. We want to be that as a church. It's one of the ways we can be a beacon of light in a, probably in a different way than we you know, were before all this started. Yeah. Is We're really trying to balance that out and uh, see people say, hey, the church really takes care of its own people and the community around it. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. What an awesome opportunity for the church. Um, so we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be back. But again, if you go to oceancitychurch.org, uh, all the information is there. There's a massive banner. You can't miss yeah. it if you're if you're curious about anything. So we got a guest coming up. Oh, it's gonna be awesome! Amazing special guest. You yeah. do not want to miss it. It is gonna like we said in the beginning. If you if you're on another stream, we're gonna take <laughs> it down. We're not gonna let you watch it later. Yeah, yeah. So this is the good stuff. This is the good stuff. We'll see. you. We'll be right back.
All right, we are back. Hey, look who we hey have. Guys. This, for anybody that doesn't know, as they see this man's face, this is Dave Sarmack. And we are so glad to have you. Uh, you're you're our, fire, our local fireman. You know, you're the guy that's, that's right. at, at OCC that... Um, is and not to make make any jokes about that. It's an amazing thing to be a first responder and to show up and do things. Uh, uh, it's unfair when you've spoken to our, our youth before and your illustrations. Like we can't we can't beat those. I mean, you're <laughs> <laughs> you get to tell stories about literally fighting fire and it's yeah. just it, it's amazing. Uh, but Dave, we, we wanted to, uh, you know, part of the reason we do this is we want people to get to know you and get to know certain people that maybe uh, they've got not, on a normal basis, we wouldn't be able to do this, but we've got this opportunity to do it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, about your family. I know you have a senior. This is kind of a weird time to have a senior and you've got uh, a whole bunch of other kids as well. Yeah, so we have a, a lot of yourself. kids. Yeah. So um, we have a big family. It's kind of weird because I'm sitting out here on my porch and they're all inside staring at us on the TV. And I know they're probably laughing and making fun of me right now. But there's <laughs> there's there's six of us Zarmax total. Um, we've got four kids. We've got Asher. He's 18. He's a senior. Um, we've got the twin. I call them the twins sometimes. Kaylee and Kennedy. Kaylee's 15. Kennedy's almost 15. Yeah. And then we have Sadie. She's t- almost 12. So I have all these uh teens and preteens in the house and I used to think they were my children um but nobody told me that when they became like teenagers they become like humans that are like not just yours you know it's like and they're just incredible people it's like you're starting to see them live life and start to kind of get their feet wet and some things and it's scary but it's like at the same time it's like oh my gosh my babies are people now and they're about to go live life and it's crazy you know for Asher he's 18 and his whole he's just about to graduate and now it's all been bamboozled by the pandemic you know they're just all the kids his age I mean the boys I think it's you know they're disappointed but I think their moms are really disappointed like mothers live for these big you know turning point you know moments when your kid graduates from high school and now you know they don't get to have it so that part's been tough but yeah we're we're a big family and then I got my beautiful wife Sarah um Sarah Liz is what I like to call her I first I can tell you the quick version of our relationship. We, uh, I first saw her when I was 15 and she was the prettiest thing I ever saw. (laughs) And then I convinced her two years later when I was 17 to go out with me. And that was 23 years ago. And I thought about it this morning. We really have not spent that much time apart in those 23 years. I mean, I go to work and, but we, we're, we're together. She's my She's my number one. I like her so much. And I liked her a lot when I was 17, and I like her even more now. So, you know. That's awesome. I should say a lot, yeah. Yeah. It's a good time to really like your wife when you have to be stuck. Stuck together. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go a little bit over, yeah, your uh, the history. Like, a lot of people don't know what you do and and your background. Um, When did you stop touring with DC Talk? Like, when did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) It looks just like Toby Mac, if if you're wondering that references. Um, That one goes out to Aaron Walsh. Uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, firefight and then your heart for ministry and how that all kind of comes in. Well, so, um, I got into ministry pretty early on. Um, I did vocational full-time ministry for a grand total of probably about 11 years. Uh, after Sarah and I got married, I got into youth ministry. I was a senior high youth director for a local church down in Palm Valley. I did that six years. I got ordained in the ministry when I was 22. Um, right about the end of those six years, we had our second baby and I was really, I wasn't looking to get out of ministry full time, but I just had this deep feeling like God was moving me into some new things, some new skills, some new environments, you know, cause I'd only ever been inside the church. I never really had a job outside of ministry. So, I mean, the short version is I really felt called to firefighting. I, I, I jumped into that. I still did youth ministry, but I went into a part-time basis and I went and got my schooling and got this fire department trade. I've done that for 13 years now. I work for Jacksonville, and it's been a really cool job. I've tried to treat it like I would hope all of us would treat it like, yeah, that's a cool job, but it's also a ministry. We're around these people, and you spend time with them, and they're in your sphere of, of influence. And, you know, you want to talk about the gospel. And it was harder than I thought, you know, like being in that church bubble and then getting in this really hyper-testosterone environment, which the fire department is. Uh, was a little bit of a shell shock, but I've grown so much. I mean, I've seen the Lord even, uh, I've seen the Lord's hand even on calls. I've seen God do things in people's lives that I would have never 
scene just uh, working for the church, you know. Mm. Uh, but also, I also did children's ministry. I, I did four years um, of, of children's ministry uh, at a local church here in Neptune Beach. And I really enjoyed all of those things. So, you know, between fire to, firefighting and, and ministry, you know, I keep myself pretty busy. Um, and then Sarah and I have all these kids. So, yeah, I still, I, I would say I still have an extremely deep passion for talking about Jesus, uh, whether it's inside the church or outside, if that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that because people see you, you know, you're on the First Impressions team. You're an anchor here. Um, you do coffee with Sarah. I mean, you, you guys yeah. have been around for a while. We've been friends for a while now. You coached uh, yes. my kids in soccer. And I, <laughs> yeah. bet, I mean, for anybody, if he's ever coaching anything, p- please put your kids on that team. Most encouraging, will walk with your kid. I mean, just uh, amazing. And I'm sure we had to fight people off that team to, you know, because everybody wanted to coach We kept that team them. together as long as we could. Those were really fun. <laughs> that was, was the beginning sweet... of all our friendship. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was great. Sweet time. Um, but, you know, it is an interesting season, and you definitely have an, a unique perspective being, uh, you know, having a pastoral background, but now being on, uh, in some ways, on the front lines, but being a first responder in the yeah. fire department. And, you know, people are on all different ends of the spectrum in terms of what they think about what's going on and what's happening. You know, what kind of encouragement, just from a pastoral perspective and the worldly perspective that you were talking about, can you give people? Well, uh, I would say, first off, on the first responder side, like initially when this all went down, it was kind of crazy. It felt like we were in a movie. I mean, every call that we went on, it was like somebody had a symptom. And so we had gowns, and we still wear them, but we had gowns, masks, gloves. People are coming out and we're yelling at them in the front yard, don't move, don't come near us. You know, everybody was, and it was was pretty crazy. But now I think that uh, it's been so many weeks, we're going into almost two months now, where I think it's kind of leveled out. And I, you know, you can tell people are still fearful, uh, but they're also kind of ready to move past this, but there's no, you know, direct end in sight. You know, it's been, it's been tough. I can't imagine what it's like working in, in a hospital, but it has definitely been, been a huge eye opener. It's like the world changed in an instant, you know, and uh, thank God we do have first responders. I mean, it's a great job, but we're, what's unique about our country is you can have the worst day of your life and there's, you can, you can call somebody and someone's going to come and even if they can't fix the problem, they're going to try, you know, yeah. they're going to come and try to help you. And I mean, that's just something special about what we have here in, in the United States, but on a pastoral side, um, and you guys cut me off if I talk too much, cause when I get nervous, <laughs> I talk a lot. Um, you know, I, I would say that, you know, we, you, Derek, you've just to say this, in front of everybody that's listening. I mean, you've done such a phenomenal job of teaching acts. Uh, I mean, you had literally everything changed. You had no preparation to go online. And I mean, it has been, I've gotten so much out of it. I mean, more than I even anticipated, just thinking about all the things you've been teaching us. And I appreciate all the effort that you've, you've put in. This and is why I had you on, Dave. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you can put the script away now and, and move forward. Okay, good, good. I I reached my benchmark. There you go. Um, But I would say, yeah, so, you know, you've been you've been teaching us about what this whole this whole thing began, you know, like the movement, the gospel movement, how it started and what the the first disciples and church looked like. And, you know, a few weeks back, you were talking about the upper room and the apostles being there. And, you know, it kind of reminded me as the more I thought about it, it was like that's they were going through some things that we can all relate to right now. You know, like mm-hmm. they spent three years with Jesus and in a moment their whole world changed right. and they find themselves stuck in this room. They're social distancing. They're scared. They're not going out They're They're waiting on something. They're waiting on some promise and they're just unsure of what their future looks like, you know, and they were waiting on a, they were waiting on God to come, you know, and it's like yeah. I would encourage OCC and all of us, I mean, we're disciples too. Is it possible that in this waiting period that we're all in, we're scared, we're social distancing, we're stuck inside our homes. Think about the Jesus that you know. Is it possible that in this waiting time that we're in, that he wants you to have a Holy Spirit experience that you've never had before? Is is it possible that he's calling us to wait upon him just like the, uh, the disciples did in that upper room, you know? And yeah. I think... I think that we need to kind of start viewing things like that because it is frustrating. I wish I could say I've been super spiritual and been praying like way more and just using my super <laughs> godly voice, but I, I haven't, you know, like I've, I've complained, I've, I've, I've struggled, but you know, I think Sarah, 
and I'm just going to shout out to my Sarah. She probably should have been doing this too because she doesn't realize how good she's been talking about this. But, you know, when you talk about waiting on the Lord, everybody's like, well, what does that mean? You know, like you pray. Sarah's been, even before the pandemic started, she's been talking about how your time with God shouldn't just be like a prayer that you have a checklist of. It's like you should be communing or having communion with God, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly wise and insightful if you actually think about what she said. Like when you hear the word communion, immediately most of our thoughts go to the bread and wine. But think about what Jesus was doing when he did that. He was having this big one final meal with the disciples. And in, in, in the John, it says that he wanted to pour out his love upon them and reveal the, the full extent of his love. That's what waiting on the Lord that maybe we're in this worst time that we've ever experienced. And what Jesus wants us to do is wait on him so he can come and pour his love out on us and reveal himself to us in ways we've never experienced. Maybe that's what our upper room experience could be now. You know, if we seek him and we pray and Anyway, I know that stuff sounds cool and everything, but I'm yeah. also being realistic. I know this is hard. We got yeah. kids and we're all jammed in here. And, you know, how do you get to that that waiting point? I mean, I think, and I'll, I'll close with this because I told you I talk a lot when I get nervous. <laughs> um, I did want to read one scripture and then I won't preach anymore at the pastor. Um, oh, your, this is awesome. He needs it. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Okay. So Psalm, good. A Psalm 107 is just two verses. And it's just really incredible stuff. And I just, I'll jump into it here. It says, verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endureth forever. Verse two is the part I want to key on. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Or in another translation, NIV, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So my encouragement to myself, to you guys, our church, our other local church communities, like, yeah, we're scared. Things are weird. Life has changed, but we're not like the rest of the world. We're the redeemed of the Lord, right? Like Jesus has saved us. He's given us, uh, you know, his, his, his forgiveness, his mercy because of his resurrection. We have hope of eternal life. Yeah. Terrible stuff has come upon the earth, but we have a hope that Jesus will come for us no matter what happens in this in this world. So I would say we need to start declaring the truths that we know about Jesus and tell our stories, tell our stories that we know um, of God's faithfulness to us, you know? It's so, so good. All right, done. Sorry. So good, awesome. Dave, man. I, I, I can't tell you that's just a powerful, powerful word and challenging because I, I think we, we all, I, like I had to admit this week, like have I spent more time watching the news <laughs> than I have it communing with God yeah. uh, in his word and prayer. Um, and not to be, be super spiritual, but I mean, I just was like, have I been watching, like, what am I filling my brain with? And what, what right. can I trust fully in life right now? And it's, it's the you, words you said of God. It, you said it a few weeks ago, uh, which it really it kind of inspired what I was really trying to get to is you talked about how you went to the church and you had this time with God and you confessed sin and that dude, that was so powerful for me. That's exactly what I'm talking about. When you when you come to the Lord, you have to confess. You have to be repentant. The Holy Spirit comes when we repent, and He does that deep work on our our soul. And and you were doing that. I mean, I'm not trying to say you know that you don't do everything perfect, but that's where it starts. You know, it's like right. we come to Him, we open our hearts, we we have a repentive perspective, and we let Him we let Him come to us and pour His love on us. You know. Yeah, yeah it starts. I appreciate there. you guys for doing that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. Man, I can't tell you how how great just a just talking to you. Um, I mean, I'm just you excited too, for people to to know you. Um, uh, and I still think it's so unfair every time when you get up and speak at youth that you have f- stories about fighting fire <laughs> um, because every kid is like, "What?" You know, yeah. we bust through the door and flames flew out the. D- I mean, you just you can't. You know, our stories about you know, I was know Batman a tire. that aren't real um, <laughs> are no good. Yeah, cha- I was changing a tire this week, and yeah. man, it was hard. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. fighting. I was fighting a fire. Yeah, I, actually, not fair. Yeah. I have a quick question. Uh, this yes, is sir. probably for most of the congregants or someone specific out there. What is the firefighter's policy if there is a citizen that would really be interested in like using a fire hose at full max? Do you let <laughs> citizens just walk up there and you guys turn on and they can just spray it for, for the you, people uh, that are wondering? You could probably go to your local fire station and ask them, and they okay. would probably look at you like there might be something slightly wrong with you. <laughs> right, um, right. 
but no, we, usually we let, we, with kids come, we fire up the pump and we turn on the hose and we let the kids shoot the, uh, the hose. And almost every time and dad's like, is there any way I can try that? Right. Like, what if it's a, uh, what if it's a grown man who looks like a kid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might, you might get an advantage there. You might right. actually get to do the whole deal. Give it a go. That's right, amazing. Give it a go. That's good. That was for Jason McClung. That's right. a- yeah, yeah. Not, not you, Jonathan. Not <laughs> you. Never. Right. Never. You look All right, very man. manly. <laughs> so you. good. All right, buddy. Man, it was great right, being with you. It was uh, Thanks amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, amazing chatting. Um, all right, church, we'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go away. It's going to be, I promise you, today is so applicable to what we're, what we're doing right now in our lives and something that's uh, just a, a great idea uh, from God's Word and that will change things in our mind and our heart uh, this morning. I believe it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be right back. We'll be right here in the same spot. <laughs> Maybe we won't. There it goes. Man, amazing word just uh, from, from Dave Sarmax, which is a great, what a, a balance of life that God's given him and a, and a voice to be on the front lines and to be carrying the gospel in your, in your heart and in your soul. Pretty powerful. And he's just a real dude. Uh, he's fun to be around, super encouraging. He never lifts himself up. Like you, you heard him saying great things about the stream and about what we're studying. And he's just a humble guy. Thanks so much, Dave, for, for being with us. Um, and man, I, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Last week we kind of did a little bit of an overview, read some scripture, and I really want to zoom in this week. And I just want to encourage you, uh, this is like where we're headed uh, today, uh, there's going to be some tension because I, you know, people are on all different spectrums in terms of where they are in life. And I'm not talking about COVID. I think we're all done talking about the, the pandemic and, and that's, it's, it's just one of those things that's there. But in the midst of it, all of us have individual lives with individual stories and individual things that you're going through. Uh, and I think where we are right now, I think anxiety and apathy are both in the framework, the two A's. And I really want to address those and, and talk about uh, the nature of God, because I think it's so important as we look at this passage in Scripture, see some of the things that are said and how God speaks, uh, and then how that applies to our lives. You know, I, it's, it's interesting, um, over the, I guess in the last month, right, probably right before all the, the viral pandemic stuff broke out, the coronavirus um, I was in my front yard. Actually, it was yeah, pretty significantly before because Jack was coming home from college. And Abe and I, we tracked him on his iPhone. We're like, let's stand out in the road and greet him when he comes home. Mom wasn't there, and we knew he had left early, and she couldn't be there. So we're like, let's, let's greet him when he walk, you know, gets down the road. So we run outside, and we're standing in the road waiting for him to turn on to 7th Avenue where we live. And we see this black and white blur just shoot across the front yard. Like just, I mean, like lightning quick. And then we see, we see a Mastiff Pitbull mix, which we found out later, is darting across the road, chasing it. Obviously, the black and white blur was a cat. 
Um, and then it just disappeared. And then the owner comes and apologizes. Says, I don't know, the dog was chasing a cat, grabs the dog and leaves. And then Jack comes home and we're all standing out in the front yard. And all of a sudden we hear this meow, meow. And we hear this meowing noise. And we look around and we look up in a tree. And I mean, in a, a pretty high spot in a, in a tree on the right side of my yard, the black and white cat sitting up there just meowing, stuck. So I climb up the tree. Um, and shockingly, the, usually when even you try to grab a cat out of a spot that's dangerous for them, they'll try to claw you. The cat literally just crawled into my arms. And I'm like, this is amazing. I carried the cat down to the, you know, to our yard and we were outside kind of talking and the cat wouldn't leave. It just kind of stayed right next to me. Like, you've saved me. I love you. And in and out of my legs and was laying all over the driveway. Like I am, I'm safe here. Um, and then we gave it a little water outside and we're like, I wonder if the, the cat's got to be, have an owner. It's too sweet. So it'll, it'll find its way home. And we get up in the morning and the cat's just sitting at our front door like this. I mean, literally at the front door, like, I like y'all. Can I stay here? Um, so it, it, long story short, we looked for the owner and, and we started to make the cat our own. Now, the problem with taking a cat that's come from the outdoors and bringing it indoors is uh, something we call fleece. And the Harmons haven't been pet owners for quite some time. I had a cat years ago, uh, but had forgotten about this, um, this absolutely viral thing called fleece. And so we, we had to, to take this cat who loved and trusted us, and we were going to have to bathe it with a flea dip. And if you know anything about cats, they do not like water or getting, like when you grab them, they just get a sense that you're getting ready to take me somewhere that's going to be awful. Um, and so I put a sweatshirt on, I put rubber gloves on because I know a little bit about cats and was going to stick the cat in the bathtub. We're going to rinse it off and put the, 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 the flea dip on it. Um, and the, the, the thing I, I was thinking about this week is we were, you know, I was reliving this whole idea of defleeing our cat is the cat didn't like the, the, the annoying thing is the cat hates its fleas. Like it is picking at them constantly with scratch and flinging them all over our house, just miserable, trying to get in the highest place in the house, thinking every time I get on the floor, fleas jump on me, so I'm going to get, I mean, it was just miserable. But yet when I take the cat, who has no idea that I'm trying to help it, but what's going to happen next is not going to be very comfortable. And as I'm putting the shampoo on it, as we're doing the water, it is trying to claw me. And I knew if I let the cat go, it would run as far away from me as it could. And in some ways would kind of be scared of me and like, I don't like you. And I thought about it this week and we, we were successful in, in defleeing the cat and now it's got fleas again, long story. Uh, but I, I was thinking about, we, you know, the way that we think about God and sometimes because a cat is, is a, I mean, sorry, pet owners, it's a dumb animal. Um, it just is. And it has no idea that there's things that you're going to do to it that are for its own good. But in the moment, it feels very, very painful. And when I think about the, the distance between who we are and who God is, and not that God looks down on us in the way that he sees us as precious and says, hey, they're just dumb animals, but he is other than us and he is different than us. And there's many times in life where God is doing something good, where he's, he's always leading us to places where we understand and know that he saves and nothing else does. He's always finding ways to remove the veil and the things that we put in place to protect ourselves so that we can just survive, so that we understand and know that we can't control everything, that we're not in control. But for us, in the moment, it becomes painful. And in that moment, a lot of us ask the question, where is God in this? Why is he doing this? Even in the situation that we're in in our country, and, and honestly, for a lot of people, it's not all that bad, especially for people who live at the beach. I mean, seeing people complain about not going certain places or doing, like the weather's beautiful, people are riding bikes everywhere. It is bizarre. Like, and it's just awful. It's the worst thing ever. Talk to martyrs, you know, from the, the first and second century. That was awful. This is not. Not to downplay your situation or your circumstance, but what you might be in and what God might be doing in this is something that's for our good. And you might be walking through something that might be for your good. And what I see in this, there's something in this passage, you know, as I think about God graciously yet painfully removing the veils that we create to protect ourselves, you know, materialism, whatever it is that you put in that place, success, sometimes all of that gets stripped away. But what God's doing in it is to lead, lead us home. But in the midst of it, just like my cat, I'm, I want to get as far away from this person as possible. And why is he doing this to me? I thought he liked me. He rescued me from the tree. But now he's torturing me. 
And I think sometimes we feel that way about God. We go from ignoring God to blaming God when, when things get difficult. So when I see this passage, and just to catch us up, in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, we see this amazing healing. Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit has come. I mean, crazy things. Miracles have been happening. And uh, what we see in this scripture, um, we're up to 5,000 people. I mean, they got a church planting plan in place. It's called miracles. I mean, if, we, if you saw healings like that, like if people came in in wheelchairs and people got healed, I mean, it would, the church would explode. But God's always doing more than that in the framework. And you see it here as Peter and John, after the healing, they get questioned by the Sanhedrin. They get the political leaders of the day. They don't want this revolution. They don't want 5,000 people adding themselves to this thing called the way, this thing called following Jesus. And so they question Peter and John, but they can't do anything because the guy that they healed is standing right there. And there's a bunch of people outside going, this deal is real. And they're like, we can't even deny it. So they just tell them to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And they say, we can't help but say the things that we've seen and heard. And they had the boldness of the Holy Spirit. But there was a whole group of their followers that weren't with them. So they go back and they tell them this story. They tell them exactly what happened with their arrest, them talking to the Sanhedrin, the healing, the whole nine yards. So in verse 24, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And I said this this week, if you looked at the blog, the three of you that looked at it, um, the, the, they raised their voices in prayer. I, you know, I, I love that. Just the side note, the, the whole whisper prayer, just not, you know, we should be raising our voices as we pray to God. And, and petition God. And I love what they say. I don't know that anybody starts their prayer out with this uh, or, or, you know, ever does. But they say, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They, they talk about God. But one of the most uncomfortable things, I think, in, in the church, we, we go past the scripture and we get excited. We read about the, the way that they present the death, burial, and resurrection. We're like, yeah, this is amazing. But when you have somebody dropping a sovereign Lord, which means you control everything, everything's under your purview, you're not surprised by anything, everything that's happening right now, God's not going, oh no. He knows, not only does he know things, he ordains things. He is moving things around. There's at no point in time is God going, oh man, look what just happened. He, the, when you use a word like sovereign, it is sovereign control. So they're saying, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. And for me, I have to step back in that passage. You can't just jump by this when you think about the nature of God. And here's the tension today for some of you that, that might frustrate you. What about what's going on right now? Individually in your life, maybe you've been economically impacted, like greatly, and you're wondering, God's sovereign, controls everything, does what he wants. Number one, did he cause this? Number two, if he, even if he didn't cause it, why has he not relieved the pain? Why has he not removed that in his sovereignty? If he's a loving God, if he is a loving father, Abba, Daddy, why hasn't he changed the situation and the circumstance? Why, why, why is there suffering at all? If I look at the landscape of everybody else, why is this viral pandemic in place? Why is there the brokenness that's happening on planet Earth? Why do we see disease? Why are there locusts in Africa? Why is there flooding you know, across the globe right now? Crazy stuff's happening. What's going on? And I know for some people, that's the reason you've hit the eject button on God, period. Like, hey, if, God, if there is a God and he controls everything, and I look about my life, and I've gone through some deep and dark things, then I don't want to know them. And the problem with that is you've got fractured ideas about who God is, and what it means to have this sovereign Lord that made the heavens and the earth. So I want to answer that question. But as you continue, there's one more question that comes up in this. So if you continue, he talks about, they go back to talking about David and how God was sovereign back then. And even with the leaders today, God was sovereign. That they made their plans, but God was indeed in control of them. And that's what they say in verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, this is the continuation of their prayer. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, to, to commit the worst sin in history, to murder the Son of God. They conspired to do this, whom you anointed. And listen to this in verse 28. We, we celebrate this, but if you'd let it dig down, it creates some tension, at least for me it does. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This was the most sinful act in history. And it says, they, they, as, as much as they conspired, it was their sin, their wickedness. But you had decided beforehand that it should happen. 
Is there tension on the stream right now? I can feel it coming through the camera, right? Can y'all feel it? I can feel it. Um, it, it is. It's a t- it's, there's tension there when we think about the sovereignty of God, the God above all things that controls and wills what he wants. In Acts chapter 2, Peter says, I, I like the way that he says it here in Acts chapter 2. If you flip back just a couple pages in 23, he says a very similar thing. He says, this man, he's speaking to all the people. He's preaching the, one of the best sermons besides the Sermon on the Mount you see in Scripture. He says, this man, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you, and he's talking to the political leaders, by, listen, God's deliberate plan, his sovereignty, and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. What, what did it say? God's deliberate plan to use the broken, murderous cross in a deliberate plan. Does that, does that shake you up a little bit? And wondering, okay, one, why does God allow all this bad stuff if he's sovereign and he can change things? One, is God the author of sin? What, what, how is he? He looks like he's involved in the plan of sin. Now there's really some tension, right? Now we're really feeling, what does this mean? If he is sovereign, then, then what, what, where's the controlling mechanism in the way that he does things? If God is good by his nature, what we do know about God in Scripture is that he is love, that he is good, that he, he does everything for his own glory, which in turn is for our good. And what about all this other stuff? Where does it fit into the framework? And I think we got to answer some of those. So the first thing, I want to answer them backwards as we, as we look at it. The first thing, like, is God responsible for sin? Like, like what's, what's his, where does that work? He's obviously leveraging sin for his own glory. We're, very, we're much more comfortable with that. We know that circumstantially God takes the worst situation, beauty from ashes. I think we feel good about that. But where is that, where's that line drawn? Well, the first thing that I can say, and Scripture is so clear on this, is that God is not responsible for sin. We are. Sin and rebellion came from us. It came from us wanting to... Not, it started in the Garden of Eden. I can do this on my own. I can walk away on my own. And it's not just this thing that is somebody else's fault. It's our fault. It says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is not, God is not to blame for the sin and the fracture on planet earth. Not only was it spiritual fracture, which is the sin that we carry, but there was physical fracture. We see that starting in the Garden of Eden and mentioned again in the book of Romans, where all of creation, it is not improving like some people would say, like the earth is getting better. I think people are now at that place going, yeah, things, the earth is not getting better. It's winding down. And that leans towards what scripture says. It's groaning for redemption. It is not the way that it was supposed to be. Because sin has fractured it. It has broken it. Do you think cancer was meant to be? If you believe in a God at all, why would there be cancer? Why would there be this brokenness? Why would there be suffering? Why would there be murder? Why would there be war? Why would there be a coronavirus? It is because of the fracture of sin. So when, you, when we think about that, we are responsible for sin and, and rebellion. But what about the idea of God being the author of sin in these individual circumstances and stories? Is God the author of sin? Because it says that by his preordained plan, his deliberate plan that was was devised in his foreknowledge beforehand. What does that mean? How does that even make sense? And I love this quote. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest thinkers in the last 500 years. I mean, you talk about, there's just, there's, you know, you're not going to be Jonathan Edwards. I mean, if somebody is right now that's on planet Earth, he was a unique individual in terms of intelligence and the way that he thought about God. And what he said in this conundrum, because it is a conundrum in some ways. God is love. God loves us. He's a redeemer. He's a fixer. He's the only one that can fix things. But yet, he, but beforehand, he devises a plan that um, is used by the hands of wicked men. So he says this. If by the author of sin be meant the sinner, the agent, or the actor of sin, or doer of a wicked thing, it would be a reproach or blasphemy to suppose God to be the author of sin in this sense. Like, he's saying, in that sense, God to be the actor, the doer of the wicked thing, it would be a reproach or blasphemy. God would never do that. But he says, in this sense, I utterly deny God to be the author of sin. And here we go, because he's got to cover the other stuff. But he argues, willing that sin exists in the world is not the same as sinning. God does not commit sin in willing that there be sin. 
God has established a world in which sin will indeed necessarily come to pass by God's permission, but not by his positive agency. Does that make sense? Like it's by his permission and not his positive agency. I know that still leaves some tension on the table, but then he uses this unbelievable illustration. He says this about the sun and the way that he says it is a little bit more wordy. So I'll kind of um, kind of bring it a, a little different. The sun's nature is to bring warmth and life and, you know, and light to everything. The sun's nature is never cold. The sun's nature is never dark. But the sun has complete control over the darkness in the way that it moves around the earth. Now that puts it in a totally different perspective, knowing that it is sun. The sun is light. It's bright. It's warm. It brings life. But we know that the sun, it is the sun's responsibility in the way that it rotates or the way that the world rotates around it, that the cold and darkness comes to the earth. Every illustration breaks down at some point, but that gets us somewhere. And the way that we see this play out in Scripture is incredible. I mean, one of my favorite stories is, is way back at the beginning in Genesis with the story of Joseph. Joseph, one of the, one of the, one of the sons of Jacob, who was the, the father of the, the tribes of Israel. You got you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then his, his 12 sons would be the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, Joseph was the, the son that was, he, he, he loved him. He was his favorite, gave him the coat of many colors. And just to make a long story short, if you don't know this story, you haven't seen it played out on a beautiful felt board. Whitney, by the way, Whitney's sitting in the, in the room today. Amazing job on this. If you haven't seen the stop motion video on the book of Acts on Instagram, don't go look at it now. I know you're right there in front of your computer, but it is fantastic. I loved it. But anyway, coat of many colors on the felt board is always amazing. Story of Joseph. But Joseph got thrown into a pit. They bloodied the coat so that his dad thought that he was murdered, and he was sold into slavery. His own brother sold him into slavery. And then he ends up in a guy's house in Egypt, Potiphar, and Potiphar likes Joseph and digs him, but eventually... His wife accuses him of rape because she's trying to, she's mad at him because he won't have an affair with her. He gets thrown into prison. So he goes from the pit, he goes to prison, and years and years and years and years and years go by. And all of this sin is committed against Joseph and committed along the way in this story. And then eventually, he, because of the power of God, was with Joseph wherever he was, whether he was in the pit, whether he was in prison, God never left him. He he, he could interpret dreams, and people found out about that, and it got back to the king. The king was trying to interpret dreams, which would have massive impact globally because there was a famine coming. And, and Joseph goes and interprets this dream, and he's correct. And Egypt's able to prepare for the upcoming famine. And then Joseph is taken out of prison and put second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. And then guess what happens? His brothers come. Because there is a famine in the land. Years later, after Egypt has stockpiled, Joseph's in charge. He went from the pit to the prison to the palace. He went from the pit to the prison to the palace. He, he's, he's, in the, he's, he's in the palace, second in command, and his brothers come. There's a famine in the land. Egypt is stored up because of Joseph. And, and what does he say in Genesis chapter 50? I think it's verse 19, 20, 21. He says... What you, his brothers, intended for evil, God intended to save the lives of many. And in this long story that is fraught with sin, Joseph's making the statement that God was sovereign in it all. That pit was sovereignty. That prison was sovereignty. Every move was sovereignty. And put me in this position that many, it would preserve the nation of Israel. It would preserve the lives of many. And when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, it's the same. We see the, the sin that's committed, but it was this sin and this one life that would be for the lives of many. God is sovereign over everything. I love this. And I, and I, I just, I, I, I want to give, give something here because I, I don't know that all of us can understand why why things like in the moment, why bad things are happening or why sins committed against people or why we stand in these places. But I mean, we have to say at the end of it, the smartest people in Scripture didn't understand the mind of God fully. Like I love that the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, 11 chapters, it's known as a lit at Christian, non-Christian alike, historically one of the, known as one of the greatest literary works of all time. Romans chapter 1 through 11, the best exposition of the gospel and grace that you'll ever read in scripture. Romans 1 through 11. 
I mean, Paul, very smart. But at the end, in the doxology in Romans 11, he says this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He's saying at the end of the day, I love what I know about God. I'll never stop. Searching, I'll never stop getting to know him because I'm in a relationship with him. But man, the mystery of who God is. He's unsearchable. He's other than us. He's unknowable. He is mysterious. But to him, everything. For him, everything. He is above all things. It is all about him. And that was the conclusion that you see there in that centerpiece in Romans. So what about you and me? What about where we are? And I, I think... Just the picture of the dark canvas and the offset of God's glory. Think about the, the, when you, the darker the canvas, the brighter the light. And, and that, may, that may not bring so much understanding, but the story of the cross is the darkest moment in history, but it certainly offsets God's glory. You know, I don't know if, if, you, if you look up at the sky at night, the only time that you can see the beauty of the stars is, is laid out on the, on the dark canvas. And God understands that the glory of God will be seen and will draw people home in and through the darkness. God not only works in the good times, but we see a large portion of Scripture. He's working in the darkest times. He's working in the valley. He's leading people home. He removes the veil of life. And what's, what's interesting, where we are in the United States of America, it's bright a lot. Like, like Dave said, it is one of the best countries on the planet. But right now, even just small things being stripped away. And it getting a, that, that bright light of America growing dim, is a, it can be a powerful thing for us. I mean, have you ever played hide-and-go-seek and gone in the closet, like in a dark place, and gone in there for a while? And then you walk out and you're like, I didn't know it was this bright! You had to go in the dark to realize just how bright the brightness was. And for, and for you and me, it's almost, it's, it's, and this is, this is maybe bad news for some of you. It's almost a requirement as a follower of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. That's not a good, that's not something like, hey, it's the joy of picking up the cross. You're going to walk through this if you follow me. But I will shine brighter through it. I will lead you home through the pain. You know, for me, it's interesting that, um, uh, you know, a, a, a chunk of my story in terms of how I ended up here um, as a pastor uh, is laden with a, a three and a half year period of just uh, suffering. And I know people have suffered worse, but I went through this thing. And a lot of you know, uh, this is undiagnosed neurological disorder. When God woke me up and rattled my cage, I had this amazing experience with God. It, where 30 years old, I'm like, I didn't know that. I thought, you know, church was good and it's good to have in your life. But success, white picket fence, family, kids, climbing the corporate ladder, live life to the full, that's what I'm going to do. And a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in, that's going to be great. Moral fabric for the family, that's fantastic. And then wake up call, Jesus, only Jesus. I realize there's nothing that's going to satisfy me. I realize my life is, is was, was, I'm here because of him and for him. The reason I exist, the reason I breathe is for his glory. And the reason I exist, the reason I breathe is to share his name and his renown with other people. I was amped up in this season. I was telling people, anybody I could find about Jesus, you know, that initial, you know, breakdown, you know, guys, you know, that, that I'm a, a mostly annoying new Christian kind of thing. And I was riding in my car. I was getting ready to take a trip to Cincinnati, Ohio uh, for business. And I was praying to God. I was super spiritual too. You know, you get super spiritual after that, you know, initial bang of just, holy, this Jesus thing is real. And I'm praying. I'm like, God, I will walk through whatever. I want to go. If you want to send me to China or Papua New Guinea, wherever you want to send me, I'm willing to go there. And I said these words, and these are, these are careful words. And I kind of heard them this morning in our pre, pre-gathering. And I wanted to say, those are tough words to say, is to wrestle with me, God. But I said, God, I will, I will walk through whatever you want me to walk through in this season. I was like excited to do it. I was like pumped up and amped up to do it. 
And that, that's a scary prayer to say, I'll walk through whatever. I'll walk into whatever. Because within 48 hours, me thinking walking through something is I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to be a glorious missionary. And all of a sudden, within 48 hours, I had an undiagnosed neurological disorder. Numbness on my face, pain on the right side, weird things happening. Calling doctors, calling friends that were doctors are like, yeah, you probably should schedule an appointment for that. Not a good thing. And then midweek that next week, I was at work and I had to call my PA because something was going crazy with my body. And I was like freaking out. And I was like, I don't know what to do. She's like, hey, you, you need to go to the emergency room. Went to the emergency room. And of course they, you know, yeah, your blood pressure is like in a place where most people die, but you're, everything else is fine. That's probably because you're freaking out. And CT scans the whole nine yards. And then I'm feeling crazy, you know, because they're like, yeah, nothing's wrong with you. You're just it's, you know, you've had a panic attack or something's happened. I'm like, no, I got all this, this stuff that's going on. I'm, everything's crazy. And my symptoms progressed over a few months. And in the beginning, I was very faithful because I had just, God had just blown up my life. There's going to be this amazing healing. Things are going to happen. It's going to be amazing. You know, God's going to be glorified in and through it. And that lasted about one month. I mean, I went to all these places to get prayed for, just hoping, okay, God's going to heal me. And then it then became the, like I said, when things are going good, we ignore God. When things are going bad, we blame God. And I'm like, God, why wouldn't you do this? I just told you I would give you my life. I'd lay my life down before you. Why am I in the middle of this? Why are you holding me down? Why are you pinning me down in this place? I want to serve you. And all of a sudden, I was disengaged from my family. I was disengaged at work. I couldn't. All I could focus on was my health. And of course, that's what do you do at that point? I'm going to Google my symptoms. Don't ever. It's just, I've said this before, like if you do the first line, you're dying. That's going to be the first return on your search results. It's, you are dying and it's going to be from credit. It's going to be from like Emory. It's going to be real credible and you're going to be like, <gasps> it's going to be terrible. Don't do it because that will exacerbate any symptom that you have. I don't care if you broke your leg or whatever. You Google it. It's just going to get worse. I know because I did this for three and a half years. It sent me into a place of depression. Like, I mean, it was, and I didn't know depression. I, I, I thought people that were depressed, I was just like, I just want people to be right. That was my statement. When people would say, I'm just having a, I don't know, I'm just in a season of darkness and moodiness and I can't get out of my depression. Now I was the person. And, and the person that I didn't understand because I didn't understand, I was, I was the moody person. I was the dark person. I was the depressed person. I was the person that felt like I had no hope at all. And I was a Christian. And I was like, God, I, I thought God had bailed on me. And I'd like to say, a couple months later, everything rectified. Two and a half years of walking through craziness. And, and finally, I would wake up in the middle of the night. My symptoms got terrible. Um, I even had a lumbar puncture that went wrong, like a, a spinal tap where my cerebral spinal fluid was leaking. I had to work from a mattress in my office. Darren Viner remembers. I would lay on my back, type in. I was a programmer. And it was just a terrible season. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night between 2 and 4 o'clock, and it would feel like my, like if you get, get, ever got hit in your funny bone, it's like, <laughs> it's not funny. My whole body felt like a funny bone. And I would get up out of the bed because I didn't want my wife, I'm a grown man, I didn't want her to hear me weeping and crying and pain. So I'd go out and sit on the, the, uh, the couch, and that would happen for, for months, I, I did that. And then finally, because everything had been exhausted, I'd been to Shands, I'd been to Mayo, I'd been to all these hospitals, I'd had so many tests. People are like, ah, yeah, we see that there's some things in your electrical thing. Some people said, you pre, you know, seven of the ten markers of MS, that's just probably what's coming. We've seen this before, which that's great for anxiety to tell somebody, you might have MS. Um, that just sent me further down the spiral. So I'm up in the middle of the night, and nothing, everything had fallen through. All the things that I thought, doctor's going to fix it, you know, Christian Healing Ministries is going to fix it. I love Christian Healing Ministries, by the way. They prayed for me. It was amazing. But I just, I was expecting people and solutions, the internet, Google machine, anything can fix this. And eventually I'll be on the other side of this. And it lasted way longer than I thought. And I was in this place of desperation. And I finally, I went back to the word of God because I had nothing else and opened up the message. Eugene Peterson, poetic rendition of the Psalms. And I started reading. And I, I can't tell you, it was just food for my soul. It was food for, for, for who I, what was going on for me. I, I wasn't ready to jump back in the boat and, God's awesome! All I knew is this guy, this psalmist, gets it. He would say things like, I flood, I flood my bed with tears all day long. Why is this going on? I don't understand, God. Will you come and help me? Every, it seems like everything's closing in on me. In the middle of the night, I'm in pain. And I'm like, I'm in pain? I'm hurting. I'm flooding my, my bed with tears. And then he would respond, though. 
Say, God, you are sovereign above all things. You made the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that I see, yet you're mindful of me. You know me better inside and out than, than I do, than my mother does. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know the, the hairs on my head. You know everything about me. I know you'll get me through this. I'd rather be in your presence than any, no matter what's going on, I'd rather spend one day in your presence than a thousand days elsewhere. I mean, the Psalms were just like all of a sudden food to my soul. And then I'd like to say, I read a few passages of the Psalms and the next day, healing. Um, but it wasn't that. Probably, I don't know, maybe a, six months, a year later, my wife asked me and just says, hey, something's changed with you. Like something's different. And I was like, what? And she goes, you're bearable to be around. Oh, you can imagine, a man cold will send, you know, is like men think they're dying. I had an undiagnosed neurological disorder. Needless to say, my wife was miserable too. Um, but... She said, you're, you're, you're happy, you have joy. And I just, I, I, it all started to come full circle, I realized. And I hadn't gotten better. All I, I knew was at the bottom of that pit when I had nothing else, what I found and what, 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 what shined out to me in the midst of the darkness was Jesus. And he had been beckoning me to him the entire time. And what he wanted me to know is that it would be him and only him. God removed everything I had put my trust in. And Jesus is like, I want you to not, not pray for deliverance. I want you to pray for the deliverer. I don't, want you, I don't want you to think that your salvation is found in a solution. I want you to know that your salvation is found in me alone. I don't want you to be satisfied and move on from your desperation. I want you to stay in a desperate place. I don't want you to be in pain, Derek, but I wanted to remove all of the distractions. And you've got one more thing. You fear losing your life. You fear MS. You fear your health. And that's going to be removed too. And then I can send you out. It's Jesus, only Jesus. And I'm telling you, it changed my life. I wouldn't be here today. It changed my life. He's still working in and through that situation in ways that I can't even talk about right now. It is, and for me, the beautiful, the beautiful part of that story is now in the midst of that. And I, have, I get to talk to people that I used to think were crazy. And I have, a, I have a voice with people to say, God is real. He's not just real in, in, in the rainbows and lollipop sense that I think we want him to be. He's real in the darkest place, in the darkest hour. I, I, in that moment, that was the, that was the moment that I, I, I honestly surrendered my life fully to Jesus because I had no other choice. And I wouldn't wish suffering on anybody. But what I do know is God will use whatever measure he can to bring you home, to, to be able to, to look at you face to face and say, now, now you know that I'm all that you need. It's such a powerful thing to know. And I don't know where you are in your, in your life or what's going on, but if sovereignty makes you apathetic, that's a ridiculous notion. That's a ridiculous notion. We should be, who would you rather pray to and, and, and go back to over and over again? Somebody that was like, I don't know. I just don't even know. I don't control everything. I'm not sovereign. But I want to go to the person that controls it all, that knows it all, that's above it all, that knows more than I do, that's in complete control. Not, oh, he's sovereign. He's going to do what he wants. No, I'm going to beckon him just like they did in the book of Acts. God, come in the midst of this. Not just to lead me out of the valley so I can have a nice life, but to lead me into the places where I see you face to face and I can shine the light of Jesus to the people around me. Don't give up, people. Don't get apathetic. That's what the enemy, he wants anxiety and apathy, and they are from the enemy. But what he doesn't know is that situations like this, this pandemic that's kept us from worshiping shoulder to shoulder, God's like, come on. We're going to grow more powerful. And you know what? Some of you might, this might be the drop-off point for some of you. I don't know where people are spiritually. And maybe there's going to be a, a strengthening of the core of the church that's going to happen. Maybe there's going to be something different that's going to happen. And this is the point where you're like, hey, because I think the days of church light are over. I think they're over. And God's doing something now that will change things for the course of history in, in the way that people see the church. It will be brighter and stronger and become the true city on a hill. But we have to understand who God is and what it means to navigate through suffering, through loss, through confusion, through discomfort in this season. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We love who you are. We love that you come and change things. That in the worst situation and circumstance, you, God, 
raised Christ from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God, we know that you, you come and you show yourself strong in the valley. And God, I pray that you strengthen the saints. I pray that you lead more and more people home to the truth because nothing that this world provides will satisfy the heart and the soul like you will, Jesus. You can come through in the darkest night. And I know it to be true. And I pray that that resonates with people. That we spend more time in the word of God than we do on the news. Just come Holy Spirit. More of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have an amazing rest of your week. Be encouraged. Dig into these materials. Um, God is working and moving in the lives of the church and in the life of the church. Not just with us, but globally. Something's happening. Something's coming. And it's beautiful. You guys have an amazing Sunday. See ya.